what would you call the good old days? Uh, for those of you who have been alive for a while, you might have a season of life that you might consider your glory days. Those of us who are athletes, we, uh, we have days that we might consider our glory days when we, our body was at peak performance and we were able to leap tall buildings in a single bound and run to first base and do things like that. And uh, some of you may think of uh, seasons ahead of you. Some of you are younger and you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm hoping that I'll have some really special days ahead of me and you might be thinking relationally or you might be thinking about an occupation or that kind of thing. Spiritually speaking, I would ask you to maybe consider right now whether you're in the midst of what you would consider some glory days, some good days, some spiritual highs, or if most of your stories right now would be about days gone by. So would you, like witnessing opportunities and things that where the Lord really used you or you were on fire for Jesus or there was a deep hunger in your spiritual life, is that days gone by? Is that now? These are some good questions to ask as we think about the good old days. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, get into the word, we pray that the word would get deep into us as we are doing uh, one more chapter in Job, and then we're going to take a break from this majestic book. Tonight we have a lot to learn about what it means to be a man or a woman of wisdom, a man or a woman who follows you, one who uh, can even look forward to good days, even if we're in the midst of difficult days. And the book of Job is largely about that. I pray for wisdom as we share the word. I pray for an open heart, receptive soil for the people of God, for my heart, Lord, and whatever you want to do tonight, whatever you want to say, I pray that we just have open hearts to not only hear, but act upon your word and to be truly wise. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Chapter, chapters 29 through 31 in Job are Job's final speech. So these three chapters, 29, 30, and 31, culminate Job giving his defense, if you will, or making his appeal to heaven. So this is the culmination. For those of you who like to kind of break things down and look ahead, let me just give you um, a few highlights. Job's remembrance of his former abundant life is chapter 29, that's tonight. Job will give a, a lament in chapter 30, like a final lament, a lamentation, kind of a cry over his current condition. And then Job will put forth an oath of innocence in chapter 31. He will place his case finally in God's hands for a final verdict. Much of the book of Job is in kind of courtroom language where Job is looking for a mediator. He's looking for someone to hear his case, to hear his plea. He's been putting it before his friends, but his friends don't believe him. They've been putting him down. The community has been laughing at him. Nobody really seems to believe that he's a righteous man. They believe the calamity has come upon him because he's not righteous. And so Job is going to finally place the case before God. In the coming chapters, we'll be introduced to a fourth comforter or friend named Elihu. He's a young man, and he will finally speak. And then in a chapter ahead of us, chapter 38, God will respond to Job. And God will begin to give his case back to Job. And Job's going to get a bunch of questions from God, and then he's going to put his hand over his mouth and realize that he needed to be quiet. Because I don't think he re really realized who God was. Now, Job was a good man, and Job was talking to us about wisdom. Where do we find wisdom? In Job 28, 28, you have a great definition of what wisdom is. So look back just for a moment. And to man, he said, Job 28, 28, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, 
and to depart from evil is understanding. Now, if you like to mark Bible verses, Paul finished with that a couple weeks ago. That is a great verse to remember. Job 28, 28 gives you a good definition of wisdom. Look at it one more time. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Now, I think departing from evil is cl crystal clear to all of us, right? We, I think we can identify what evil is, and we know what it means to depart from it. It means not to be involved in it. It means to turn around. It means to get away from it. But the fear of the Lord is more than just a shuddering or an awe of God as much as it does encompass that. The fear of the Lord is to do what is right. You see, the fear of the Lord includes to turn away from evil, but it also means to embrace what is good and what God calls good. So wisdom is to know God, to know his ways, to know his will, to know his word, and to do it. And by doing the good that God uh, has for us, we're automatically going to turn away from the evil. And I would say to you, if you get yourself more involved in doing good, you will be less apt to fall to evil. See, when you are idle, that's the devil's playground. When you're so focused on yourself and your rights and what you want, that's when we get in trouble. Now, Job was a righteous man, and Job, in chapter 29, is going to reflect on his former days. He had glory days, and he looks back them, at them now, having been a man that lost so much, having been a man that is so sick, having been a man that has so many questions. But in past days, he was a very prominent man. He was a prosperous man. If you write down Job 1.8, God was bragging to Satan about Job, and he said, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, no one like Job. He's a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. That was Job. Job was a man of principle, but now he was a man who was broken. And he was looking back to good days. He was looking back to days when he had his children around him, when he had his health when he had respect from the community. And sometimes, you know, we can go through a series of life challenges. They may have nothing to do with uh, our behavior. And maybe you've gone through some recent blows and your life isn't what you want it to be at this very moment. And some of you would say, I made some mistakes. And because of the mistakes that I've made, my life is not what I want it to be at this very moment. What should I do now? Should I just look back to former days with longing and say, well, that's the way it used to be, but it will never be that way again. I have good news for you. As a Christian, the best is yet to come. Amen? In fact, your future is so bright, you got to wear shades. You guys remember that song? But for the Christian, it's, it's very true. What's ahead of us is much more promising and beautiful and, and incredible than what's behind us, even when we think of glory days. And we know that the reason that we're in this mess from a big picture perspective is our first parents fell, sin entered the world, we're in a cursed world. We still see a lot of beauty, but we see a lot of brokenness, a lot of confusion, and unfortunately we have to live with that as well. Job was living his life, he was a godly man, a righteous man, doing the right things, and his life fell apart. And you may be in that situation tonight where you were doing all the right things. You were trying to live right, raise your kids right, 
uh, do the right things in terms of business and relationships, trying to be pure in your life, and still something went south. If that's you, the book of Job is a good place to find some respite tonight, some understanding, someone who can understand your own plight. As the book uh, unfolds in chapter 29, let me just give you a basic outline and then I'll remind you of these. Uh, Job will talk about his life of goodness and justice in the first six verses. God had richly blessed him and that was all about his relationship with God. He commanded respect in verses 7 through 10. He strove for benevolence and justice in 11 through 19. He hoped for a long and blessed life, that's verses 19 through 20. And he was a most respected elder, that's 21 through 25. One writer says, the two main facets of Job's nostalgia, looking back to the past with, uh, you know, glory, relate to his fellowship with God in verses 1 through 6, and his dignity and stature in society, verses 7 through 25. So those are the sweeping outlines. Let me give it to you one more time. Two main facets, facets of Job's nostalgia. His fellowship with God in verses 1 through 6. And his dignity and stature in society, verses 7 through 25. And these two are interrelated. Let's look at verse 1. Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in months gone by as in the days when God watched over me. Oh, that life was the way it used to be days gone by. If you're putting headings or if you're taking notes, this is Job's life when he had intimate fellowship with God, and that fellowship with God in verses 1 through 6 was the foundation of everything. Now, what Job doesn't understand at this point is that God is not his adversary and that God has not left him. The devil's been the one after Job, but God has allowed Satan to get at Job, except for taking his life. God said, you can have at him, and the devil has done just about everything that you can do to a man. And what Job doesn't know is that though God allowed it, God loves him, and God has not left him. And in times when life goes south and we're sick, or circumstances are not good, that's how we can feel, and that's how Job feels, and we can understand our emotions. We can't let our emotions drive the bus or the train of our spiritual life, but unfortunately, we got to deal with them, amen? And circumstantially, if you were to look at Job, if you just walked by and met him for the first time and looked at his oozing sores and his bad breath and his broken... Uh, you know, history and the loss of family members and the loss of his estate and the loss of respect uh, from the community and, you know, you can pile it on more and more. What would your assessment of Job be? Would you say, man, this is the greatest guy in the East? Or would you say, oh my goodness, this guy's a disaster? You see, what we do is we judge people by the cover, right? We're told not to do it. We're told not to judge the book by the cover, but we do. We can't help but think that when we look at someone's life, if someone's life is a disaster, we quickly jump on the bandwagon of Job's poor comforters that obviously this guy must have done something wrong. That's why he's the disaster that he is. And so Job feels like God has forsaken him. And I want to say to you tonight, if you feel that way, just know if you're a Christian, God will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. But circumstances 
do sometimes hurt and make me ask questions. And Joe's been asking questions for many chapters, so obviously we, we have some biblical precedent that we can ask hard questions. His life is ruptured and broken. He, uh, in past times, when he, see the phrase, oh that, uh, we, we're gonna see that several times in our Bible. Why don't you go back to chapter 14 for a second. Let me show you a few of the, oh that. Um, we can all relate to this. Oh, if only. That's kind of what Job is saying. This is 1413. He says, Oh, that thou wouldst hide me in Sheol, 1413, that thou wouldst conceal me until thy wrath returns to thee, that thou wouldst set a limit for me and remember me. And then Job says, If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle I will wait until my change comes. Flip over to Job 19. Look at verse 23. Here's another one of those, oh, that. Job 19, 23 says, Oh, that my words were written, 19, Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that with an iron stylus and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. And as for me, I, what's your Bible say? I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth, even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. Flip over to 23.3. Job says this again. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Job 23.3. That I might come to his seat. He's speaking of God. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn the words which he would answer and perceive what he would say to me. And then flip over to 31. This is the end of the final speech of Job, Job 31, look at verse 35. 31, 35, Job says, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Behold, here is my signature, 31, 35. Let the Almighty answer me, and God will, in chapter 38, and the indictment which my adversary has written. Surely, I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it to myself like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps, like a prince, I would approach him. Back to Job 29. Oh, Job says that things were the way that they were before. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw closer to him from care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Life can get hard, and those lyrics were written by um, people that were going through a tough time in life. Job continues to reflect on the glory days when he says, when God's lamp, verse 3, chapter 29, shone over my head, and his light walked through, I, by his light I walked through Darkness, And we continue to look at Job's uh, glory days, verses 1 through 6, that show the foundation of Job's life and what Job longs for again. He longs for close fellowship with God. Light is a symbol of blessing and success. And Job says, you know, in those past days, his lamp showed me the way. When I was in dark times, I was able to walk through the darkness by his light. Sometimes life gets so dark that we, we struggle to even sense the light of God. Where do we find the light of God in dark times? 
Well, the Bible says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Psalm 27, verse 1. In Psalm 119, 105, the Bible says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So if you're in a dark time right now, the best thing that you can do is go to God in his word because his word illumines my darkness. Uh, flip over to the book of Psalms. It's just the next book to your right. Psalm 36, verse 7. Psalm 36, 7. Of course, a lot of the Psalms were written in dark times, many of them by David. Psalm 36, verse 7. Let me show you these few verses for your encouragement as David writes. How precious, 36, 7, is thy loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of thy wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of thy house, and thou dost give them to drink of the river of thy delights. For with thee, verse 9, is the fountain of life. In thy light we see light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me won't remain in darkness. He will have the light of life. The Lord is my light. He's the one that helps me navigate my life back to the book of Job. I've told the story before, but it's worth retelling. We had some kids from the African Children's Choir back to Job 29 who visited uh, the fellowship some years ago, and we were able as a family to open up our home to three boys from Africa. They, each of them had lost at least one of their parents to AIDS or starvation, so they come from a very rough background. They're all between six and 10 years old. And uh, they spent a couple days with us, and they would sing in the car. And it was always so neat to hear them sing. And they were very talented singing and dancing. And we drove them. I think we were driving them to get ice cream or something like that. And they were saying, he is my light. He is your light. And they're in the back seat just rocking out. He is my light. He is your light. So we're all just swaying in the car. And then we pulled up to a store or something, and... They called everybody either uncle or auntie, and they said, thank you, uncle, for driving us to the store, and may God richly bless you. And I looked to my kids, and I said, did you hear that? <laughs> They're blessing me every time I take them somewhere. And singing. He is your light. He is my light. Anyway. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they come for me. It seems like in the dark times of life is when we probably sense the light of God the most. It's when the light shines the brightest, but it's hard. Job back in 29.4 says, as I was in the prime of my days, 29.4, when the friendship of God was over my tent. Now God is still Job's friend. God thinks extremely highly of Job, but circumstantially, Job's at a tough place. He doesn't feel well. He's lost so much. He's lost family members. He's lost his health. And so he thinks that God is no longer his friend. In fact, he thinks God is his enemy. And, and some of us have had moments when we go through tough season after tough season after tough season, and we finally look up and say, what did I do to deserve this? Show me my fault. And sometimes, you know, there may be something that God wants to show us in the midst of that. But maybe the trial has very little to do with anything you did 
It could be a broken world. It could be that God is exploiting what you're going through for something he's gonna do in the future. It may just be that he's teaching you things through the trial. But Job says, I, I want the days when, when the friendship of God was over my life, when I had intimacy with God, which seems to imply that Job is far away from God. In Isaiah 41, eight through 10, uh, contrasting the pagan idol worshipers of the nations, God says to Israel, but you Israel, 41, eight through 10, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In James 2.23, Abraham is called the friend of God. And in Isaiah 41, uh, verse 8, he's also, he calls Abraham my friend. Is it legitimate for us to consider ourselves friends of God? I think so. Jesus said to the apostles, he said, this commandment I give that you love one another as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this that one laid down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, John 15, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves or servants for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. And you did not choose me, I chose you. And appointed you that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. See, Job is looking back to former days and wondering, is God my friend or my foe? He says, when the Almighty was yet with me, which tells you that Job thinks that God is no longer with him. And my children were around me. You almost get the picture of Job reminiscing about days when the kids were younger and they were running around maybe at a family picnic and Job was trying to take some of those snapshots that all of us as parents try to do along the journey when older parents and grandparents and great-grandparents say they'll grow up so fast. And, and you usually respond in those days, we're trying to speed it up. <laughs> what do you mean? It's not going fast. It's going slow. But then you end up with kids that are older and you're like, man, where did the time go? And it does seem like it was just like a blink of an eye. See, the Bible says that children are a gift from the Lord and the fruit of the womb is a reward. Psalm 127, verse 3. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Psalm 128, the very next psalm says, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. It goes on to say, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Well, right now, Job says, but wait a minute, all my kids are dead. How could I associate blessing with my life if by measuring Psalm 127 and 128, my children have been taken away from me? If children are a sign of the blessing of the Lord, then what about me? Maybe my friends are right. But God says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. 
to Israel, don't tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. Deuteronomy 31.6, he will not fail you or forsake you. The Aaronic priests were supposed to pray a blessing over Israel, and we know how many hard times the nation of Israel went through, and the prayer was, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. But how many times could the children of Israel say, well, where is God? People who are Holocaust survivors right now, uh, many of them would say, I don't believe in God because where was he when this was happening? And circumstantially, when life comes our way, it's hard. We might say, well, where was God? Was he over my life at that point? God's gaze from Job's perspective has turned from a favorable gaze to one of hostility. Job longs for the times we might get reminiscent and say, the way we were. Some of you remember that song, right? Longing for those days, but right now he, he goes, well, maybe God is my enemy. The days when my steps, 29.6, were bathed in butter. These are uh, images of plenty. And the rock, which is often talked about in the uh, wilderness wanderings of producing water and even oil, the rock poured out for me streams of oil. Man, I had everything. I remember some years ago, I was talking to a man who, I think he was selling cars or something, and he said, oh, I used to have this job, and I made 120 grand a year, and now I'm not making anything, and I used to be a big shot. I used to be this, and I used to be that. And he was reminiscing about days gone by when he was making more money, and he felt like he was something, and now he felt like he was nothing. My steps were bathed in butter. The rock, seemingly something that wouldn't even produce, produced streams of oil. I had everything. We need to see that blessings are not what many in our world would expect. You see, what's coming is a description of Job's life uh, in the former days. And what you're going to see is very little said about all that Job had at his beck and call. He's not going to talk about his servants. He's not going to talk about how much money he had in the bank. He's not going to chronicle for us the animals on his farm or how much he enjoyed picnics and vacations. It's very striking, says one writer, that five verses are devoted to describing Job's life at home as opposed to 20 about his social service. Now, I want you guys to see what is coming so you can really grasp onto this. If you want to know what it looks like to be a righteous man or woman, pay close attention to Job's life right here. Job, in verses 7 through 10, will talk about the dignity and respect he had in the good old days. Check it out. He says, When I went out to the gate of the city, when I took my seat in the square, the young men saw me and hid themselves. The old men arose and stood. The princes stopped talking and put their hands on their mouths. The voice of the nobles was hushed and their tongue stuck to their palate. Job was the greatest man of the East. That's what we learned in chapter 1. And this great man has now been reduced to, literally you could say, an ash heap. His life 
has become a living hell. And he begins to reminisce. And he begins to remember times when he would walk into the city gate, the place where the elders made decisions, the place of government, the place of business, the hubbub, the, the hub of the city. He was given great respect and deference. And the gate of the city was where judicial proceedings took place. And you could see the respect that Job had. In verses 11 through 17, here's the reason that everybody respected the man. For when the ear heard, it called me blessed. When the eye saw, it gave witness of me. Because, here's the reason why Job was so respected. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. Job was a judge. And he was a righteous one. No one could bribe the man. If the man saw injustice, he pursued the right. He was like the ultimate king. He put on the robe for the judicial setting, if you will, and the turban. He was eyes to the blind, feet to the lame, 15. He almost sounds good too, too good to be true. I was a father to the needy, 16. And I investigated the case, which I did not know. If there was something that looked fishy, if a rich man was trying to buy off the court, I said, uh, 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 uh. He became like a PI. And he said, I'm going to find out what's really going on here. And I broke the jaws of the wicked and snatched the prey from his teeth. Talk about a lofty life. Talk about a good man. Do you know that Job's calamity, when he fell and lost everything, it affected many, many people. Many people who looked to Job for provision, direction, guidance, uh, shelter, wisdom, they were all impacted by Job's fall. And I want to park here and give you an application. Sometimes we underestimate the impact we have on people. Sometimes, as humans, we underestimate whatever your sphere may be, how our own personal fall impacts other people. I don't have to tell you about political and religious leaders that have fallen on their face, Hollywood actors, athletes, we can make our list, that there are always ripples, right? It's like throwing that rock into a pond of water. Inevitably, when the rock hits, it ripples out, and Job's fall, not his own, own fault here, but Job's fall affected many people. Go back over the list. The poor, these are all things that are close to God's heart. The ideal king, for example, Psalm 72, 12, delivers the needy who cry and the afflicted who have no one to help. Look at, uh, you have the orphan. You have, an, in verse 13, those who are ready to perish for whatever reason. You have the widow. Proverbs eleven twenty five says, the generous man will be prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs eleven twenty five. This is Psalm 34, verses 12 through 15. Flip back over to the Psalms. you got to see this one too. Psalm 34, just the next book to your right. Look at verses 12 through 15. It says these words. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? 34, 13 of Psalms. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. 
and his ears are open to their cry. Back to Job. Job did good, invested cases, helped the needy, the, the, lime, the, the, lime, the blind, and the lame. When Peter is preaching in the house of Cornelius, he says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how he went about doing good. If you were to step back and look at your life right now and ask this question, am I known for doing good? Am I known for being a man of justice? Am I known by others for reaching out to those who are hurting, for having a soft spot for the orphan, for the widow? Have I taken too much of my life and become consumed with all the American things that people say are important and lost God's heart? Proverbs 24, 11 says, Deliver those who are being taken away to death. Those who are staggering to slaughter, hold them back. What am I doing in the battle for life? Do I have a voice? A am I willing not to back down to the PC group and the political pressure and everything else that's going on in our world? Well, Job was a father to the fatherless. He was a righteous judge. In fact, this guy almost sounds divine. He almost sounds too good to be true. Or is it just because we have lowered our standards so much that we think he sounds too good to be true because comparatively speaking, we don't even come close. I put that in my notes. That was for me. But you know, in our culture right now, we've become so self-consumed and so selfish that I wonder how we'll stand the test of Matthew 25 when Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, naked and you clothed me, sick and you visited me, etc., etc. See, this was Job. What made Job a great man was not his finances. It was his character. Everybody knew that if you needed a pearl of wisdom to lead the city or the nation, if you needed a man to settle a case, if you needed a man to speak into your situation, Job was that man. He was a righteous man. That's why the devil wanted to take him down, by the way. Because if you can upend a good person, a good man, a good woman, well, you affect many, many people. Think of the orphans, the poor, the widow, the lion, the lion. The blind, <laughs> the lame. Job was the kind of man that would not be bought with a bribe. John 7, 24, Jesus said, make a righteous judgment, and that's what Job was. Jesus said, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. And then in Luke 14, 13 and 14, Jesus says, When you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Today, it seems like the most popular forms of Christianity are people who will give you the secret of success People have the slickest suits on and the biggest crowds. But that's not God's heart. God measures a man or a woman by how much his heart 
comes out of their heart. And Job has been giving us a picture, a foreshadowing of who? The greater Job, the ultimate righteous man, Jesus Christ. He's been foreshadowing him. And now we can see a little bit why. Because not only was he an innocent sufferer, Job, but he was a good man. He was a solid man. He was a righteous man. If you're a younger person listening to my voice, please hear what I'm about to say. Don't let anybody mock you for righteousness. Don't let somebody say to you, oh, goody two-shoes, oh, you don't look at that, you don't do that, you don't, oh. You know why they do that? Because they feel guilty about themselves. And do you know how I know that? Because I used to be one of them. I made myself feel better by putting other people down. Don't buy it. Because they're not going to stand with you at the Bema seat. <laughs> no, they're not going to be there. See, we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 8.29. Paul says, I am in labor until Christ is formed in you, Galatians 4.19. This is what God's trying to do. He's saying, I want your heart to be my heart. I want you to hear Paul in this way. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and through me. Job had to be reeling because he reflects back on his life and he's like, man, I was living a righteous life, trying to be benevolent, had the respect of the community. What happened? At that time, Job says, in verses 18 through 20, he reveals a little bit more. He says, then I thought I shall die in my nest. This kind of means I'll die with my family around me. I shall multiply my days as the sand. I'm going to have a, live a long life. The Bible did speak of following the law, brings long life, and even a noble death. And so here's Job thinking, man, I'm going to die in my nest with all my family around me. My root is spread out. I'm like a stalwart tree to the waters, getting constant nourishment. The dew lies all night on my branch. Things are not going to dry up. I'm going to live a strong, healthy, long life because I honor God, and when I die, after a host of days, my family will be around me, and this is what he envisioned until life went south. We have all of our visions and all of our dreams. Okay, this is what I'm going to do, and, now, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'll go over here and do this. I remember we had an evangelism team, and they came to the door uh, of uh, a young man. He was uh, uh, well-spoken, and they were sharing with him, the, I don't want to hear about the gospel. I've got plans for my life. I'm, I'm going to go get this degree. Then I'm going to go do this. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do this. And he had it all planned out through retirement. They were impressed was the evangelism team until one of the members got a little word from the Lord and said this, what are you going to do after you die? The man was a little shocked because he had it all mapped out, but he didn't think about eternity. And, you know, sometimes we, we do like the book of James. We'll go to such and such a city and we'll do this and we'll do that. And James says, hold on, wait a minute. That's not a bad thing to plan and have goals. But you ought to say, if the Lord 
whales will do this and that. You might want to throw that in since he's running the universe and you call him Lord. Amen? One in ten professing Christians say, Barnabas, that my faith informs my direction and decisions in life. Are you kidding me? Job says, my glory is ever new with me. My bow, glory is, kind of speaks of an inner being. The word glory can actually be translated liver. Like I'm strong on the inside and bow. My bow being renewed is a weapon. Speaks of masculine strength and vigor and power. You know, uh, as we get older, speaking of glory days, <laughs> you know, you, you always have this idea that the vigor and the power is going to be there, right? And I'll be able to do this or that, and you young whippersnapper, come on into this court, and I'll beat you around, right? <laughs> I, was, I was speaking of racquetball, by the way, just in case you guys wondered, right? But it gets tougher. There was a season when I could take Nathan down in the booth one-on-one -on -one in basketball. It was ugly, but I'd win. I'd play dirty, I'd grab his side, poke, trip, foul. <laughs> now, it's like this. <laughs> he goes right by me. Nothing I can do. You can only trip a guy so many times, you know, and then you gotta, anyway. Think of Job's physical condition. He has no strength. So he comes full circle now to the end. He says, to me, they listened and waited. I kept and kept silent from my counsel. Everybody waited. Everybody listened when Job spoke. After my words, they did not speak again. That settles it, people would say. My speech dropped on them. They waited. Here's an image. For me as for the rain. We have a little rain today, so we can relate to this. And they opened their mouth as for the spring rain. When I gave wisdom to the group, they drank it in like, like vegetation drinks in rain after a long season of drought. They couldn't wait for it. And it was done. It was over. Everybody was watered, encouraged, directed. The man was trusted to direct the community through good times and bad times. He led and inspired others to right action. People absorbed what he said. His life was an example. His words watered others. And finally he says, I smiled on them when they did not believe. And the light of my face they did not cast down. Some of you are saying, is Job a little arrogant? The light of his face? Is he claiming that he walked into parties? Well, in Hebrew thought, the light of my face speaks of favor and blessing. It's the expression usually used for God and his favor, the light of his countenance, if you will. But Job here seems to be saying that his smile motivated people to morale and courage. He was an inspirational leader, beneficent as a source of encouragement and even life to people. Moses appeared as a god before Pharaoh, and I think even the Bible says in Exodus to his brother. And you can become so close to God, and here's where we need to be, obviously, biblical and careful, but you can become so close to God that when people see you, they are seeing Christ in you, the hope of glory. And how much you shine is going to be dependent on how much time 
you spend in the light. He says, I chose a way for them and sat as chief, dwelt as a king among the troops, as one who comforted the mourners. Job, summing up his former glory, says, I was a leader, I showed people the way, I brought morale to the troops and comfort to those who were hurting. And now I have to step back and ask, so how does my life compare to that? That's what I'm striving for. And I know I can't produce it. I can't produce anything from my flesh. But if it's Christ in me, if it's his Holy Spirit moving through my life, walking people through times of dejection when everybody else is frowning, maybe you're smiling. Why? Because you know something. The best days are yet ahead. And here's what Job didn't know because he didn't have the full revelation that we have right now. I don't know how much he knew, but what Job would, at least I know, now I know he's discovered, is that we are going to reign with Jesus in new heavens and new earth as a kingdom of priests unto our God forever and ever. Amen. My Redeemer lives. Would you close your eyes? I'm going to just read this last section. This is Revelation 22. Just receive this for yourself. He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall no longer be any night, there shall no, they shall not have need of the light or of a lamp, nor of the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word. As we reflect on Job, we can see how his life was at such a low. But we know the end of the story, and at the end of the story, Job is going to be restored, and God's going to multiply back blessings to him more than before. He's going to see God like he's never seen God before. He's going to be an, a new inspiration to many others, knowing what he went through and how he survived it. The end of the story is bright, and Job's future end is what we just read. It's the end for all of us. Revelation 22, a new heaven, a new earth. We will see your face. No more curse, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. The former things will have passed away. The Lord, our light, will be in the midst of that city. He will be our light, literally. Father, I pray that you would encourage the souls that are here tonight. Those who are holding on as we turn the corner to the holiday season, it's not always easy. And I pray that you would be the light of these families represented here, those who will listen to this later, a light of encouragement, a light of hope, that the future is bright for all believers Help us to hold on to you, knowing that you will never let us go. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand?